time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you on the podcast. Welcome and happy, happy new year. Hope you celebrated well. Some companies are off today. Some companies are working. So it depended on how you handled Friday. So anyway, we're glad to have you listening in live with us. We've got some people dialed in or, or logged in and listening live. Got a couple of notes already. And they have several things they want to talk about. But again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. Again, it's January 3rd, and we've got some interesting things to talk about. In the Hot Topics segment, we caught up with Shana Arrington. She is Chief Compliance Officer at The Money Source, and we're going to have her on the podcast talking about things that are really related to things we can anticipate in 2022. Anyway, so good to have you with us. Uh, check out all the podcasts over at Industry Syndicate. We're pleased to be a part of the Industry Syndicate. They do a great job of working with us on getting our podcast out, as well as many others. Check it out, as well as grateful to have us our sponsors. Thank you so much for the Mortgage Bankers Association. Uh, we're grateful for them. Check out the MBA, the IMB conference that's coming up here in a few weeks in Nashville. It's a great conference. I encourage you to be there. Also, Finastra's Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution does a great job of helping you at point of sale and origination. They interface with so many platforms. I love their open architecture. It's one of the things that Finastra does extremely well. Also, Lenders One. Check out Justin Demolia's interview we did about the vision of Lenders One. In fact, we've got our upcoming Winners Conference in both for the Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. We're going to be at both of them. Check out Mortgage Collaborative and Lenders One. These two co-ops do a great job. They do not compete with the MBA. That's important. You've got to be a member of the MBA. But these are two organizations that you can be a part of. They'll help you get to know your peers and understand what's going on in companies similar to your size. Now, the IMB conference can do that as well, but these two co-ops are smaller subset and very active, and I recommend them. Also, I want to say Accelerate, doing a great job with leading ed technology and mortgage expertise with pre-designed campaigns that can help you enhance the borrower engagement. Also, KnowledgeCoop, a wonderful learning management system, as well as Mobility, MMI, and Modix. Both of these companies help you connect with the right loan officers for your company. Also, SnapDocs does a great job on the e-mortgage experience, as well as SuccessKit. If you want to have your testimony told, no better way to get business in the door than to get people who are telling your testimony and telling it well. That's what SuccessKit does. They help you get your story told well. Also, Lenders Toolkit. Love working with Brent Emler and brilliant software and how they work with lenders. Check out all the services Lender Toolkit offers today. A special thank you to Rob, Les, Alex, Allen, Matt, and of course, Jack Nunnery, who's sharing the microphone with me. The MBA's Mortgage Minute is not available to us. Rob is taking the day off, so we're going to get right over into Les Parker's TM Spotlight and this week's macro view of the markets. Les? TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy. No more lower rates to feed. No more auctions left to read. 
What to do about it? Let's put out the screens and go to sleep. This year, expect wild rates as they double last year's range. But this week, look for the bond buyers to hope for February crude oil futures to find sellers near $78. It closed Friday at $75.21. Meanwhile, the short end and the five-year bears focus on central bank tightening and rising growth prospects. So who wins? Dogs, bulls, or bears? The flattening curve votes for both. So mortgages stand bewildered. What's to do about it? Let's put out the screens and go to sleep. These views are my own. Find out when to turn the screen on at tmspotlight.com. All right. That's a good job. Les Parker. Love their contribution to the podcast with what they do each and every week. So get signed up for Les's newsletter. You can do so by going to tmspotlight.com and putting in the word power to have access to his paid subscription and uh, check it out. I encourage you to do so. Matt Graham is here with us. Matt, my screens are kind of going nuts or is there something wrong with my computer? Or are we having a bond market falling apart here? What's going on? <laughs> hey, happy new year from the bond market. Yeah. Unless uh, low rates make you happy, then it's not happy. So bonds are tanking today. This does happen sometimes when we begin a new week, month, year, doing all of the above today. And London and Tokyo were out on holiday, and that might seem completely insignificant to rates in the U.S., but it's one of several things that, while it may seem insignificant, is contributing to a bit of a snowball sell-off, as we like to say. And the way it does that is via illiquidity. And we have this whole primer on that on MBS Live that I sometimes uh, throw in the commentary there. And we just want to think about illiquidity as not volume, but volume at any given price. And if London and Tokyo are out, there's a lot less cash treasury trading in the overnight session and even in the early domestic session, more so with London being out. And that just means that the skids are greased for easier movement if there happens to be an imbalance between buyers and sellers. So right out of the gate this morning at the 8.20 a.m. CME open, we saw sellers lined up to sell. And this seems like a very weird concept. It's something that took years for me to appreciate and wrap my mind around. Uh, the fact that there are individual people that have an impact on the market when they have a trading plan to execute on any given day. And the fact that they can't do that in many cases until 8.20 a.m. And that just, it seems crazy that in this day and age of electronic trading, that somebody couldn't take action on that in the overnight trading session or a couple hours before the open, but we see it time and time and time again. And I have a chart in this morning's commentary that even shows the volume surge, huge surge in volume at 8.20 a.m. And obviously a big pickup in selling. That was the heaviest selling of the day. And we've had linear weakness since then. Pretty sizable. MBS down half a point. Ten-year yields up 11 bips and change to 1.62. That's right in line with the technical level that we're watching at 1.62. And it's also a Fibonacci level for those that are into that sort of thing. But I think the question is, why are we selling and what does it mean in the bigger picture? So we're going to kill two birds with one stone and say we've been selling in general since August of 2020. It got a little bit carried away in early 2021. And then we rebounded with some help from the Delta variant. Then selling picked back up, got some help from Omicron. And now we're in this indecisive time frame where Omicron obviously is creating a lot of case counts, but there's hope, speculation that 
it will not create as much severe illness, hospitalization, death, et cetera, and thus not have as much of a disruption on the economy, although that definitely remains to be seen. But there's enough hope out there that it's not doing the same thing to the market that Delta did. And every passing day that that continues to be the case, the bond bears continue to have a leg to stand on. And then this morning's illiquidity and boatload of corporate bond issuance, which adds upward pressure on rates, generally speaking, while we're in the early phase of the corporate issuance process, it was more than enough to tip the scales, to trip stop loss levels and create a little bit of a snowball sell off in the bond market. As for that bigger picture trend and consolidation, we're still in the middle of a consolidation pattern, meaning we have two converging lines making a triangle or a pennant pattern. And the breakout from that triangle will be potentially informative as to the next leg of momentum. And for those following along at home, if we are using 10-year yields, that's going to be somewhere around 1.65 to 1.7 on the high end. And if it were to happen today or in the next week or two, around 1.43 on the low end. So that would be the consolidation range in terms of 10-year yields right now. MBS mortgages, thankfully, when Treasury yields are rising as fast as they are. Mortgages typically outperform. Today is no exception. If we're looking at MBS yield spreads versus 10-year yields, in fact, even versus a five, 10-year blend, which is even less favorable comparison to MBS, we are at the lowest levels since the beginning of December. So in roughly a month, which is good news. And right in the middle of the yield spread range going back to the beginning of 2021. So no major drama to report on that note, just potential drama in the sense that things could get worse before they get better. But I would urge the audience not to read too terribly much into the first trading day of the year, especially when two key overseas markets were out of the office for the day. We're still waiting really to get a read on what momentum is going to be like in the week ahead and the month ahead and the year ahead. But not a great way to start the new year. Hopefully no. uh, things will improve as the week progresses. Yeah, It's really interesting to see just how harsh it has fallen. I wonder if it's that or is there other contributing factors or is it just, I always want to know what those other factors are in my whole life, especially yeah. the first five, 10 years I did this. I relentlessly sought to connect market movement to news headlines, economic data, something that was happening. Today, it's the fact that the clock turned 8.20 a.m., honestly. The fact that the market opened, there's corporate bond issuance. We're not seeing a discrete connection between an individual event or news headline or piece of economic data and a surge in volume or selling. Really, the only connection in that sense is the 8.20 a.m. CME open. And it's not satisfying. And I'll be the first to admit that. I love to find those connections when they legitimately exist. And we're not seeing any today. And if there's going to be a time of year or week or month when that happens, the very beginning is nearly as good of a time as the very end. But those closing bells, especially annually, and the opening bells, so first day of the new year, we can often see volatility that doesn't necessarily have a, a great explanation other than the, the general assumptions that have run down a few times now. Well, it is a most interesting way to start out the new year. So but your service is outstanding. You're busily writing out notes and sending it out to all of us, <laughs> keeping us informed as best you can. You do a great job. Thank God in markets like this, days like this, we have a service like yours and encourage our listeners really? to sign up. You can do so by going to mbslive.net and put in LOL for looking at a lady. That's a sign-up code and get an extended trial without a credit card. Matt, 
You're going to be a busy guy, it looks like, today, answering a lot of questions, reading some of the commentaries we're sitting here today. Appreciate you very much. Alex Elvey, CMB Vice President of Education and Training at Union Home Mortgage. Good to have you here with this week's legislative update. So, Alice, have anything specific to start off with? Otherwise, we'll get into a discussion about the whole vaccine mandate that seems to be occupying a lot of people's minds right now. Yeah, it certainly is. Well, and I think it's a great topic to kick off here because that really is one of the biggest pieces of legislation that's impacting our companies, not necessarily mortgage regulation specifically. For 2022 look-ahead legislative, we we don't have a lot of rocky waters that we're aware of today. As you all know, anything mm-hmm. can happen on any given day. And we'll certainly watch for remote online notarization, Ron, to be able to continue um, to move yeah. forward. But I'd love to talk about that, Dave, that we're all faced with on January 9th. There's the regulation that goes into effect that would require companies with more than 100 employees to have everybody either prove that they've been vaccinated and then fully vaccinated, I think, by February 9th, or they are going through a testing regimen. If you're not vaccinated, you're then getting tested regularly somehow in order to meet the requirements. So I'm not here to kind of talk through what the specific requirements are of the law or how each company may have to go about it. I'm really hoping the Supreme Court comes in and throws this thing out because from my vantage point, just me personally, not a union home thing. I think it's a real impact to your company culture to now Mm -hmm. have to really put front and center. People are very passionate about this issue, right? And there are a lot of people who feel 100% right and have no understanding of the other side. And when I say right, I don't mean right or left politically. I mean, they just feel that they're right. (laughs) They're correct. And I respect that, right? I respect if someone feels very strongly that everyone should be vaccinated. Mm -hmm. I respect those who feel, no, do not force me. I do not want to be vaccinated. It's unfair that I have to be tested when anybody is capable, at least from some of the things I read, of being able to transmit this flu virus. So both sides have their arguments. And that now puts it front and center at your company and for people to have to face when they're coming into the office and it becomes a, a cultural issue, I think. So. Yeah. Well, I, I want to get a little bit of discussion on this because it's interesting perspective on what's happening out there. As soon as we saw the circuit court, it was that overturned with the stay that was out there. This became a live issue. And it really surfaced last week as some of the many, many companies sent out an email saying the vaccine mandate is policy and we're going to have to respect it. And I read a number of companies and how they responded to this. And some of them have said, we're not going to comment on do we like this or not. I mean, it's a federal requirement, but anyone who's worked in mortgage industry is basically in some way, you know, feels very much that oversight by the federal government. So many are requiring that. I started hearing that we're starting to have a good number of resignations. People are just fed up with it. I don't know of anybody that's blowing it off, but what this is doing is causing for the discussion to happen. And so hopefully we'll see the U.S. Supreme Court throw this whole thing out, get done with it, get back to work so we can not worry about it. But one provision that's interesting here is the provision that if you work from home, if you are a remote worker, you are exempt from this. And so there are a number of people that are saying if this, in fact, goes through, the Supreme Court does not. They're just telling their staffs, go remote. 
And as they look at how to navigate through this, several companies are seeing this as an opportunity to recruit. So wherever you land on this, and we're going to get over to you, Jack, and get your thoughts on how you recently tired out of Texas Capital Bank. I mean, that's a federal institution. It's one of those things. What are you hearing out there? Well, David, first of all, historically, there have been vaccine mandates before. I think the first one was in 1905. The state of Massachusetts mandated a vaccine for smallpox. And then Mm -hmm. in the 70s, the federal government started vaccinating children for polio and measles and rubella. It was like seven common diseases that the federal government started initiating uh, a mandate to have the children vaccinated. And now you can't get your kid into school. They don't have a certain list of vaccines before they start a school year, right? And so there is historical precedent. Now, obviously, there's a lot of energy around the safety of the vaccine that maybe didn't exist when it was measles and mumps and tetanus and those diseases that we've known ever since we've been around, David. But there is historical precedent that has been established around mandating vaccines. I know there has been, but this one is unique. It's the political toxicity that's in the political discussion, discord on this, and the opinions that are out there that are all over the map. I mean, we were out to dinner for New Year's Eve with some friends, and they were quoting some things that as if it were fact, And we had just listened to a doctor who is probably one of the most renowned epidemiologists. But the bottom line is that they were quoting as if it was fact with fervor that one of the things was as once you've had COVID, like I just recently had COVID, are you forever immune or not? And this doctor who's on there, we listened to this very renowned doctor, very celebrated, says you are immune for life if you have that. Well, at the dinner table, whether you agree with that or not, it's a doctor who's highly, probably one of the leading top three doctors in the nation on this. Personally, I'm going to go with that guy's opinion on this, how I handle it. It's just the whole toxicity around this discussion and the opinions that are there. So it's, it's really going to create a challenge for many, many lenders out there. How do they navigate this? Several are saying, we're going to pick up all the employees that get that choose to exit. We're taking a approach that if you're uncomfortable with this, you can work from home. Several companies are setting up testing facilities in their building or in their office, buying the kits and sending them out and so that they can comply and saying, don't worry about this, get back to work. And I think those that are going to take a proactive stance rather than what I'm seeing some companies do, I'm looking at one particular email from one company, whereas you got to comply. And there wasn't as much focus on the alternatives, work from home or getting the tested or what they were doing to help companies get tested as there are some other companies. So, so some companies are going to seize on this and make a real opportunity out of it. So it'll be interesting. Let's get to some of the questions that are coming in. Alice, I know you can't, and nor would you, nor would I ask you to comment about Union Home Policy on this, but have you heard what other companies are doing? So just like you said, Dave, I think it's not a lot of companies are putting their foot down today. There's always this, let's wait for the Supreme Court decision on the 7th. A lot of other companies are preparing, like you said, Dave, for are we going to just offer the tests for free for folks? Do we need to 
start buying those up to have in supply. No way is any of this a reflection on Union Home at all. For me, like for the preparedness is if you decide as a company that you've got to put the testing in place and have the verification of the vaccine, that you spend some time understanding how your partners feel about that, your team members feel about that. I love the idea of just let people work remote. There you go. Problem solved. (laughs) Because I don't think this is permanent, right? This is Mm-hmm. where we're at today with it, I hope, and maybe there's some uh, ability to have this repealed in the future. But I think that would just be my note to everyone. Whatever policy you decide makes the most sense for your company, I would recommend to make sure that you also talk to people about how they feel about it. I think you're always in trouble when you say, I'm doing it because the law says I have to, and I don't agree with it. That right there, if that's coming from leadership, that sets the wrong tone. So there's got to be a way to say how we're going to do this, we're going to make it work, and how we're going to work together so that we're in compliance. Boy, you're getting a round of amens in the chat area right now from that, just how you articulated it. I'm reading some of the comments. Jack, I know you're kind of retired, so you probably don't talk to as many people, but what are some of the companies you're talking to, if you are? doing on this point? Well, the couple that I've talked to, David, are going to comply. The question in my mind is, is obviously a number of states, different actions with regards to the vaccine mandate. Some prohibited employers in a state from requiring proof of vaccinations. Some states struck right to the heart and prohibited a vaccine mandate, right? I Mm -hmm. I, I find the one very interesting in as much that it just says we're not prohibiting the mandate. We're just prohibiting the employer's right to document that you've been vaccinated. The January 7th Supreme Court trial date will be interesting to see how it really deals with about 20 states out there right now that moved against the vaccine mandate in some fashion or form. So I'll be antenna up on January 7th. The solution that Al put out on the table with work remote is a very eloquent solution to this. And unlike a couple years ago, David, when the workforce really wasn't oriented to work from home, we are now, right? And people got into the rhythm of working from home. I've always said anybody can work from home, but it just takes you about a year to get very proficient at it, right? And so now as a workforce, we have become proficient at working from home. So a return to that type of structure Yeah, we got used to it much more quickly. A lot of the comments are coming in here. I see this as an opportunity. Again, we don't know what companies are representing, but our company absolutely came down, landed on it hard. Our company's leadership is more bent to a liberal stance on this. They're very supportive of this. They're seeing this as an opportunity. We've already started seeing some resignations as a result of this within our group. The branches are trying to figure it out. I mean, many of them are just going to start working from home. So it's all over the map. And it's very predictable because it's going down the lines of what we talked about earlier. This is one of those issues, very polarizing. You're either on the left or right on this one. And a lot of people are just putting in a lot of opinions out here. Just get it. I mean, not that much, not that big. Alan, what are you seeing in the tech world? What do you think? Well, on the tech side, it doesn't really affect very much other than the person-to-person, face-to-face relationship building and implementation and training. But when you think about it, the folks that support and build technology, they already like working at home in the dark and 
they work all hours of the day and night. So I, I can't say it doesn't affect them, but business as usual for a lot of them, it's the running of a business of the tech side that obviously gets affected just like everything else. Alice, thank you for the update. Good job. Let's get over to the tech update. We've got Alan Pollock, as you heard, here with us for the weekly tech update. Well, Happy New Year. Good to be here. I'm happy to say 21, uh, honestly, for me, was a fantastic year. So yeah. I'm excited to have an even more fantastic year in 22. David, I'll start off with the surprise news, right? This is super surprise. Officially, as of today, BlackBerry is ending their mobile phone business. I don't know if you even remember them, but they still are trying to be in the business. And as of today, it's all over. Getting back to the pandemic conversation, we just had on a separate topic. Obviously, a lot of flights are being canceled, right? And I guess the first thing I think of is, is how is AI being used, right? There has to have been in the last year and a half some type of data that can be matched up with other data. How often are the, the likelihood of people to call out of work sick and the fact that you have X amount of travelers that may be sick and to kind of be ahead of it, right, in front of it and have not, people not stranded in the airport in, a, in an even more dire situation. I can't answer that question, David, but United Airlines mm -hmm. is offering three times pay to pilots right now if they're able to be at work and can fly. So we're in a definitely in an interesting wow. position. And I did see something yesterday that due to the pandemic and the new surge of cases that the airline industry is potentially going to bust. And I don't know if that's true or not or if it was an opinion an opt-ed, but thought that was interesting to mention. Let's talk about more complex things, right? 2022, David, the last item of this year I want to bring up. It's a do-or-die year for Congress and big tech. And there's a great article at TechCrunch if you want to check it out. They're basically talking about all the proposals to update competition laws, online privacy rights, protection from kids, and even more importantly, right, protection from harm on the Internet with children as well, and hoping that there's bipartisan support. So be a big and interesting year for how much power and control does big tech have and can government step in and actually add some protection and privacy rights to all of us. So look out for that as the year continues. So everybody has seen, David, the TV ads that talk about unwanted subscriptions, right? Truebill is the name of the company. You can connect it to your bank accounts, which, by the way, uses a technology we all use in mortgage, just like the Plaque technology where it connects to your accounts. You put in your username and password, and it aggregates down your data, right? Hopefully, by now, a lot of us are using data aggregation. Well, Rocket just acquired them for $1.275 So Truebill is, is, yes, they scan your bill, and they help you deactivate, but they also were a platform to help you negotiate better bills. There's been a lot of different advertising campaigns. They were doing about 50 billion monthly transactions. They were tracking spending. They were helping people build budget. They were also looking to help monitor and improve credit scores. Very similar, the same but different, right, to Credit Karma and Lower My Bills and a lot of these other ones out there. Anyways, at the end, Truebill CEO had said that they are aligned with Rocket because they will leverage the power of technology to remove the friction of complex transactions. And really, David, what does this get into? We've talked about it a few times, personalized experiences. And Jack, I can't see through the phone, but I'm sure you're shaking your head up and down because know your customer, KYC. You do not just have to be a financial institution to understand who your customer is and provide them with a personalized experience. But looking at all of these non-bank lenders and looking at the technology, they're leveraging data. They're leveraging advertising and marketing, things that aren't just about the market transaction. And they're using that to help people understand that there's more to how to facilitate 
a better well-being beyond just getting a lower rate on a refinance or buying a home that fits within your means. So you're going to see more of this throughout the year, but but very interesting. So again, if you didn't hear the first part of that, Rocket Mortgage has acquired Truebill for $1.275 billion, which is a huge, mm. huge number. Okay, mm-hmm. let's move on. We talked, David, last time. I missed last week, unfortunately, but I did talk about data breaches. And real quick, we're going to spend the next couple episodes going into it, and I'm talking to bring someone on the program that actually is a cybersecurity data analyst, somebody that gets into the data to help you understand exactly what you're going to do. But let me just tell you, Housing Wire has an amazing article that talks about headwinds confronting mortgage in 22. And they talk about operational risk and key performance indicators, but what they don't talk about, and we can talk about that article next week, they don't talk about security of data. And I think that's a huge headwind that we have. Every day there are more data breaches. Imagine, and we've talked actually about this in the past too, imagine your homeowner, your prospective new buyer wires money to a fraudster and winds up not being able to get that money back in time to close on that property, right? That's another type of data breach. That's something that you need to be very cautious of and you play an important role in this process. So anyways, what do you do in the event of a data breach? And I'm going to start off with just the very first one, David. We'll get into some of the other ones, but you need to identify the source and the risk, the extent of that breach. If you're a technology vendor, you need to figure out where it's coming from and shut those services down immediately. And if you are a mortgage lender or a service provider that's attached to any company that had a breach, you need to do the same thing. You need to immediately identify, is it a one-time event? Is it ongoing? Do you need to pause your systems? Do you need to move to a manual phone call process to take apps while you can temporarily disable your site? These are things that you need to think about. Extremely important to minimize the risk and understand how it happened and where it happened. That's the number one thing. And the second thing I'll leave you with today, David, and we'll get into more detail starting with the second item next week, is you need to mobilize a team. And you should know who these team members are before Mm -hmm. a data breach actually happens. The very first one that you need to know is you need to know legal counsel, insurance, and forensics. You need to have these folks involved. Your CISO or your CIO would be the one to put these together. So we can talk more detail about that next week. It's a fantastic topic so that it is a positive experience should anything ever happen to you. 2022 is the year of zero data breaches, fingers crossed, right? But we do need to be ready in the event that one does happen. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And that's all for this week, David. Good. If you want to get a hold of Alan, send him your comments and things you'd like to have him comment on or talk about at Alan, A-L-L-E-N, at TMS-Advisors.com. Alan, thank you so much for being here. That wraps up the first part of the podcast, which is the weekly mortgage update. So we're grateful to have the opportunity, listeners, to be there with you. Next week, we're going to have Julian Lumpkin on talking uh, of success kit, and he's going to be talking about his process. I think it's so important how we tell our story. And I always say there's a great proverb I would quote all the time. It says, let another man's mouth praise you, not that of your own. And I think when we try to tell our own story, we don't do necessarily the best job. I think that's why I'm really excited about our partnership with Success Kit and hearing what Julian has to say. We're talking about that. Also want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, the Lenders One, as well as Incelerate, Mobility, MMI, Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, Mortgage Collaborative, SnapDocs, and success kit as well as lender toolkit folks have a great rest of your week it's going to be an interesting one with the hearing that we've got coming up on january this friday for the supreme court on the covid vaccine mandate so 
stay tuned. We'll have lots of commentary on that next week. Great to have you with us, everybody. Have a great week and see you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.